Hello and welcome to What We've Learned, episode eight. As ever, myself, Steve Kemish, and I'm joined by Shane Redding, but I'm joined by Shane Redding in a slightly different capacity. I'll come on to. Uh, so eight episodes in, and we thought we'd slightly take a different direction in as much as we have, well, at least one of us is an expert on something on this podcast, although I'm rapidly becoming at least moderate on how to use podcast technology. So thank you for bearing with us. Uh, social selling is the area that we wanted to talk about today. And that's why Shane's in a slightly different seat today, Shane, aren't you? Because you're our resident expert. I enjoy very much social selling because I, this is something I've had to learn myself bottom up. So I, experts been very kind, but I share my learnings and I do lead training on this. Um, we'll come on to what it means about being an expert a bit later on. Yeah, I'm sure we will. And actually, we'll come on to all sorts of things, starting probably, Shane, by what on earth social selling is. The name perhaps suggests one thing, but just start us off by talking about what social selling is, where it's come from. I agree with you. Social selling as a title, I think, actually is hugely unhelpful um, because it implies straight away, you know, you're jumping onto social platforms to sell. And actually, as you and I both are passionate about, that is the very last thing you should be doing. So I went back to sort of refresh myself in terms of a really good definition, and there's some really nice ones out there. But the one I like um, is a, well, she's called the sort of queen of social selling, Jill Rowley, been around mm. a long time. Uh, and her definition is social selling is about using social networks to find, listen, relate, connect, engage and amplify your buyers and their sphere of influence. So it's really about using social networks to be found by your buyers. OK, so it's OK. That's an interesting definition, isn't it? And and actually, Shane, you know, it, social selling, in for me at least, feels like it's something that's relatively new uh, as a name, not necessarily as a principle. Um, social networks. Um, are of course the mainstay of it but are the principles of this actually much much older in terms of some of the practice for anyone that's not ever come across social selling that we, we're just still about the same principles of trying to build relationships even if those cocktail parties have turned into LinkedIn groups for example is that where its heritage comes from? I, I love the fact you think that I started my career in selling a cocktail parties <laughs> uh, but I did start in sales um, and I think you're absolutely right. I think the principles of good selling, uh, which if you're taught as a salesperson, are absolutely always about finding the right audience, listening to what they've got to say, deeply understanding their needs so that you can then connect and word that you're always using. And I'm absolutely right. So you can be helpful. You know, mm. great salespeople are helpful and you're absolutely right it's the fundamental principles of great selling and networking um that really underlie this it's just a different it's a different platform absolutely and, and to that point i guess it's is it worth discussing whether this is just for salespeople, given the name given its its heritage is this for for other parts of the organization as well I think it absolutely has. And I think that's one of the things that sort of has changed more recently and is better understood. I mean, if you go back to the heritage of, of people who started to do this professionally, uh, it came out of SaaS brands out of the US. Oracle were one of the very first companies to set up a 
social selling team to basically lead the organization and then others um, like IBM realized that actually it was much more than that and it was about using all of your employees particularly those like engineers who've got something very different to say to their community than perhaps a salesperson but equally valuable so peer-to-peer -peer networking and influence is now very important and is at the heart of uh, really this sort of whole technique yeah interesting and i suppose back to your point it's it's just a, a it's an off-kilter name social selling for me at a basic level uh, as a layman uh, it's about social engagement or relationship building. You don't have to give it a fancy name, but it is the principles of, as you say, going out. And that's why I use cocktail parties, the kind of offline equivalent is going out, networking, whatever the event might be, whatever the size of physical or virtual room and just being a, a respectful, uh, relevant guest rather than the mouthy one. And I, I like your, you know, the listening piece that's that old adage of, of we've got two ears and one mouth let's use them in that kind of ratio absolutely and i think that you know it does suit a wider range of people it's a bit like you know we've been talking about virtual training and things like zoom is that actually on on sort of social selling you can do it really well without having to worry about how do i go up, go up and approach that person at the, the cocktail party to have a conversation and in fact for me this is one of the most powerful ways of using tools like linkedin and twitter is to be found um, by people who you want to have a conversation with. Maybe you want to learn from them. It's not always about selling to them. It's about being helpful. Um, they can help you as much as you potentially can help them. So it's a great way of introducing yourself before you meet in person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, funny enough, actually, it reminds me of strapline that we use for work we've done on events, which is quite simply to meet, to learn, to share. Uh, is that principle of, of that balance. You don't have to go in there and be the educator. You can be the student as well. That's lovely. I really like that. Well, you're welcome to it. And uh, and also, I guess, Shane, this given its heritage, so that the, the software as a service companies, as you say, um, that are in a very competitive space. If you get this right, this isn't so much about the company as it is the individuals within the company. It allows those individuals to form their own brands and to their own personalities that can, can help perhaps humanize who they are and what they stand for. Absolutely, and, and humanization, you know, there's the, the likes of Paul Cash that we talked to in an earlier podcast mm. um, is really important now more than ever so. And I think we're seeing the brands with human leaders, um, you know, who, who everybody's a human leader, but who, who actually get that sort of emotional intelligence out there by using social media in an empathetic way, making a big difference. So the likes of um, Jason Stockwood, for example, from Simply Business, I think uses social media really well. He comes across as just a nice person and mm. you you get a much more rounded feel uh for a business and leaders you know ceos and others are now being trained in social selling they're not necessarily calling it that um but certainly influence and how to use these platforms really important in a crisis uh absolutely yeah interesting so if we've got people on the hook here shane that it is still new to them what are the aims or goals? What are we trying to achieve either at a business level and or as, a, as an individual when using these these disciplines? 
So I think the point you make is great, is, is think first about your personal brand. I mean, we should all be doing this anyway, um, because we all have our own personal brands and some of us as marketeers should be uh, better than others. Um, but I'm always interested in actually sometimes when I go um, and I do this type of work with companies and I meet the teams, actually sometimes the marketeers, particularly those who fall into certain persona types or shall I say uh, have been around a bit longer, uh, haven't invested very well into building their personal brand on social media. Uh, and that actually is a real disadvantage today. So thinking about what you want to stand for, what platforms you're on and why for yourself is very important. It, you know, LinkedIn is not just a CV and it shouldn't be. Um, Twitter, I made the classic mistake when I leapt onto Twitter, I have to say mainly as a cricket fan, mm. um, that you know, maybe not all of my business audience were quite so excited about my, my son scoring his uh, first 50 uh, or getting wickets. So you know, separate maybe platforms for your different own persona is also a helpful thing to think about. Yeah, that's a really good point is that Shane the human, Shane the, the non-working person, Shane the professional, I don't think it's as, as black and white as you can't mix the two, is it? It's just, it's recognising the likely makeup of the people that are on that network and what they think they're going to hear from you about. I think it, it depends, um, you know, and it depends on the balance. Um, may, I actually, and different personas, I prefer to keep my Insta account for my guilty pleasures of gardening and food. Um, and I get a bit irritated and annoyed when, you know, some people have done some good targeting and they've realised that it's the same Shane Redding who's in a, you know, B2B marketing format. But actually, I don't post any work stuff on there mm. at all. So you could sort of argue, well, actually, it's not great targeting, but that's my preference. There are others. And I know you're much better at blending across all the platforms. Oh, well, I don't know for the better, but I certainly do. I think I don't mind from time to time, but certainly it's a conscious decision, like you say, is that, you know, LinkedIn, uh, uh, Facebook for show, LinkedIn for dough was a badge that we once had created here at Junction Towers. Um, and, you know, Instagram for me is very much my personal, same as Facebook. Although Facebook, of course, is a walled garden um, compared to the likes of LinkedIn and Twitter. So, yeah, I think it's just allowing people to recognise that, look, uh, and back to something you said, allowing people to recognise even at a basic level that what does your photograph look like, your profile, if you're going to build that LinkedIn page that is a balance now, Shane, I think you said is it's your it's almost your live CV, but it's also the opportunity for you in the current role you're in on behalf of yourself and your employer to try and exploit and, and harness the, the good that can come from these networks. I think that's a good example. And in fact, I deliberately chose to have a holiday photo on my LinkedIn because actually one of the things I enjoy is being able to work anywhere in the world. Um, it, you know, I don't have to have a corporate badge. I'm not a corporate. That's not my brand. Um, and people who know me know that I like to travel. So I've had some comments on that and people have said to me, oh, you know, is, is why did you choose to do that? I said, because it's, it's different and it's a talking point and it makes the fact that, you know, I'm not not corporate logo whereas of course if you are building your brand out as part of your role in an organization and you need you know that that LinkedIn particularly profile needs to reflect the professional persona you absolutely need the corporate headline behind you yeah it goes further than that as well doesn't it in terms of content 
Uh, I had an interesting conversation just yesterday, actually, with a with an industry peer around just seeking some third party advice. They they'd had a marketing plan put together for them via an agency, um, and and he's very you know he's he's what you could describe as a thought leader, although it's a phrase that I don't particularly like. But he really does know his stuff in his particular industry. Um, but the advice he'd been given was on his LinkedIn profile to post 270 posts a month to try and get traction, uh, which he, you know, he he knew enough to say, Steve, I'm not sure this is right. Um, how am I going to produce 270 pieces of content, let alone 270 meaningful pieces that are on in line with who I am and what I stand for? So it isn't all about quantity. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And I think we'll come on in a bit to pet peeves before we get there. But that's absolutely one of my pet peeves is, you know, the wrong, the wrong KPIs and drives the wrong behaviour. But but going back to your point about the individual and people listening to this, if they're thinking, well, what can I do? The first thing you can do is is think of it as almost as your your elevator pitch. You know, what, what do you want to be famous for if people they find you? What do you want to be known for? Um, what is it that you're trying to build out in your career that you might want to do next? Because some of this might be aspirational. This is one of the things I talk um, to people in education still, whether they're undergrads or whether they're at school. And increasingly, they're all getting a lot more savvy about the need for a LinkedIn profile. It's not necessarily what you've done so far. If you're only 16, you haven't got quite as much to say, but you want to tell people what it is you want to do in the future. And that's true for all of us. You know, if you want to head in a certain direction, don't be scared to put aspirational stuff there as well. Mm, I think it's a nice point as well around if you see your LinkedIn profile as a copy of your of your CV, then the language and, and the, the the tone of it will be different. Um, somebody made an interesting point to me not so long back about how actually people may find you by keywords. So you almost think of your LinkedIn profile uh, a bit like you would a web page for search engine optimization. Um, make sure that it's natural language for a human that might come across it, but help yourself by putting hashtags or keywords on of the kind of things that you'd want to be found for. Absolutely. And that's really important to do that so and the, the keywords that your industry look for and search yeah, of course yeah absolutely or industries you want to be in yeah. yeah interesting okay um and and look Shane given the environment we're in we should talk about lockdown so social selling in the environment we have right now in 2020 is it more is it less valid to be looking at, at this in the way we're talking I think it's even more valid than ever before because actually it's, you know, it's one of the few ways that we can reach out and engage with people and back to where we started with this in listening to what their fears, their concerns and their needs are um, in order to be able to connect with them in a meaningful way. So I think it's really important. Um, it's really interesting seeing what's happening with social selling at the moment. Um, there's a lot more content being posted. There is no doubt about it. Mm. Yeah, I did. Re I did read actually uh, around how some of the algorithms on these well-known social networks um, really struggled in the first few weeks of lockdown because there was such a surge towards the platforms that you almost suffered what we've seen in the industry over the years with with direct marketing, with email more latterly and just broader social media is that everybody had just social selling left or getting onto social networks and trying desperately to 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 make contact that we it almost kind of consumed by its own weight 
Absolutely. And I think that's that's the thing, again, is thinking about your, your own situation and your own needs and what you need to do at the moment, but also thinking about from a company point of view, what's your organisation trying to do and portray? So what are the current aims and goals in this crisis um, that you can share that's helpful? I mean, I saw a great example from um, in Teleflow at the moment on their website that they've produced a guide for uh, financial advisors about what it's like to work you know completely in lockdown and from home from people who are used to going out and seeing people in their own homes really helpful content um, and that that to me is very exciting seeing companies take a lead like that and then you know being able to go out not just for the marketing team to share it but that's where I see back to your point about wider employees being able to take that content out wider still. So any any employee that's got contact with with the market, whether that's customers, prospects, they they don't have to be in a sales role to be able to to uh, post this content out and to try and engage people. Is that right? That's right. And I think we talked about account based marketing and sales um, previously. And in fact, you know, companies that have got very good account based marketing and sales strategies have mapped their peer to peer social contact. They know who and at what level they should be reaching out to. So, you know, CTOs putting in relevant content into their CTO forums out in, in different platforms. Interesting. And I guess it doesn't always have to be about contact as well. Uh, fair to say that if you harness this right research and just insight, understanding the market and individuals better, even if you don't actually uh, talk to them or communicate with them, that's surely a byproduct of this too. Oh, absolutely. You can you know, use it to broadcast to Twitter. Um, particularly, it's a great way of, of being found um, by sharing it doesn't always have to be original content but something you found useful but I think it's important that you add your personality to it so there's lots of people who do just repost but they don't explain why it's helpful to them and I think we're all guilty of it we see something good and we just we do it we share it mm -hmm. but without necessarily adding a this is why I find it helpful because that takes a bit more time yeah, interesting. And actually, it all sounds pretty rosy at the moment, Shane. We're advocating this. People are going to go on. But that, that last point leads us on to an area we, we probably should talk about is, well, how does it go wrong? So what do we avoid here if we are either on a journey already with this or just starting out? Well, it's got to be, you know, that unsolicited uh, LinkedIn request with no reason, completely random. Um, so number one top peeve you know and you, you sort of look and think oh maybe that's interesting you accept it um and then the next uh, the next contact is they're selling to you uh so absolutely no selling before i know you or your company and you've demonstrated your value it's the quickest way to be blocked or unfriended uh, you know just dreadful it's an interesting one isn't it it, it almost people may jump onto this and go great so I can just shortcut the the whole sales process by just sending a couple of posts in uh, and I think it goes further rather than uh, I get this all the time hello Steve we're in the same group on LinkedIn let's be friends and then moments later it is hi here's my offer for you and um, that's not just getting that person unfollowed un unconnected whatever you term you want to use it but it's not very good for the employer either it doesn't reflect well on the brand no and I think that 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 has there's no doubt there have been brands 
um, that have suffered from that very aggressive approach. Um, and, you know, it's the same as in the old fashioned unsolicited phone call, um, mm. interruptive, basically, you know, it's time, you're taking people's time. So it, that's really something that needs thinking through. So yeah, that's my top peeve. The second peeve is lazy linking, you know, no reason or thinking. It's just sort of, yeah, not thinking about what's in it for them. So you mean a scattergun approach to just try and collect as many as if it's a game of Sonic the Hedgehog where we're trying to collect gold rings. It's just connect, collect as many connections as possible. Yeah, that's the point you made earlier about the wrong KPIs. I mean, sometimes, you know, I feel very sorry because um, salespeople or, or others in an organisation have been told that's what they should do, that they should get their Twitter followers up to this. And then you look at who's following them and think, well, that was a complete waste of your time. And we're we're back to time at the moment hugely valuable resource for all of us um you know just don't waste your time doing the wrong thing mm, okay so we've got people that sell too quickly lazy linking what else oh irrelevant um you know it's just not not thinking before you speak as you said you know the two ears thing um so that not thinking before you tweet not thinking before you post um so irrelevant just blah blah and the next one is boring as well just too much blah 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 <laughs> too much about yourself as well is that fair that it, again the, the mistakes i've seen with with people on this is that the assumption is you've got to talk about yourself and what by that i mean either you but particularly your your organization that's all you've got to talk about rather than being a more rounded human being yes i think so and it's that it's that balance isn't it i think uh it, it, it's I, I mentioned it with my, my cricket story but it's, it's sort of suddenly you know you're suddenly thinking oh no this isn't that's not for right for that audience and it, it's yeah just uh, and I, I guess Jane just common sense on that is that back to the analogy that if you were in a room a physical room of people if we can remember those days um, you know it, it's being appropriate about what you might go and add to a conversation that already exists or how you might strike up a conversation with somebody yeah it's know your know your audience good marketing Mm. Or just good, good dinner, dinner party practice or cocktail party practice, whatever era you might come from, of, you know, people that just talk at you about themselves the moment you've met them are the ones that we all trying to get away from within that small confined space. Uh, you've obviously been to far worse dinner parties <laughs> than I have. But yes, absolutely. All about them. Nothing. No, no questions and, and no trying to find out and interested about them. Um, and that sort of really part of the reason is that the last pet peeve is a lot of this is driven by a lack of thinking and particularly in a corporate context not having a clear strategy mm. okay that's a sin that we see in an awful lot of sales and marketing activity no strategy being too tactical i suppose it's even easier in this world because anybody can have an account within a few minutes and they can get going yeah, and I mean, you can do a lot. I don't want to put people off. There's a good reason to get going and we all we have to start somewhere. But I think thinking the thinking about why first, you know, um, there will be people who want to make their next move. And therefore, that's about their brands and the sort of things that they can be uh, listening to that will help build their brands and join perhaps new networks. Um, if it's a corporate, you know, it's very much about well, how does this fit in the overall corporate marketing and sales strategy? Um, and what do you want 
to be using, you know, your social platforms. This isn't marketing. This isn't paid for. This is earned. And it's also, you know, you're using a precious resource. You're using your staff to do this. So you want to use them well. Well, it's an interesting point that as well, the last one around the staff, because the ownership of this account, um, this profile is equally important too. And without getting too dull on us, I think certain countries in certain parts of the world, employment law favours either the employer or the employee, i.e. if Steve works for Acme company, my LinkedIn profile is mine, but in certain parts of the world, it may be considered theirs for the time that I'm employed. So you've you've therefore got to be thinking about that that balance of if I'm going to be spending time on behalf of myself and the employer, am I saying the right things? Is there some kind of comeback if, if I don't? Uh, and, and not just a, a simple sentence that we all see on Twitter of these are my own views, not necessarily my employer, which seems to be a get out of jail card for saying whatever they want. Uh, it really is just making sure that you're doing the right thing for yourself, for the boss. Absolutely. And this is where companies, I think they learn well. I learned a lot from the debacle around journalists who were working um, for the BBC and had set up, you know, massive followings um, on Twitter and then got poached by ITV and took all their followers with them. And they said quite clear and said, no, and it's my Twitter account um, and they are my followers. So rapid revision. You'll now see most of the newscasters. It's, you know, a Twitter handle at ITV and then the person's name rather than just the person's name. So, you know, which you've got to be careful with this stuff. I mean, there are people who have built very good careers out of building their own personal brands and are worth more money as a result. So if you're going to invest in a company in your top salespeople, you need to make sure that your your legal contract with them is who owns the followers, because if they're doing it in your time and you're paying them to do it, I think it's fairly clear. Mm, I suppose also the, the reverse is true is if you are listening in and are going to have a go at this is making sure that you understand what policy might already be in play as an employee of your organisation. Yeah. And the really good ones, I mean, the, the leaders out there, I've referenced them already, but they were very early to this, you know, IBM's um, social guidelines, what you can and can't say, been around for a very long time. I can't even think more than 10 years, I think. Um, and very clear, just set of very simple guidelines. This is what you can and can't do um, when you're on social media and just very simple to follow. And lots of other companies have followed that example. Yeah, I've always working with with students, I've always said to them, look, remember, the Internet is written in pen, not pencil. So just be sensible about what you're saying now on whatever of those platforms, because, you know, another a slight lateral to this chain, of course, is is the employment is, is an opportunity, whether they're supposed to use it or not, for, for a line manager or a HR department to take a look at you before they even get to meet you. Yeah, absolutely. And not just that, but, you know, for salespeople, um, if I'm expecting a call or I am in the past, you know, would have been meeting with somebody. I look to see whether they've looked at me first. If they haven't, hmm. Yeah, so indeed. They, and there's some interesting it, tools in that space as well. Um, Crystal knows tools like that that can do the analysis to try and understand my personality, your personality based on that available social media profile that can help that salesperson or you in that role, Shane, that you better understand me as a personality before you even pick up the phone or send me that first email. 
yeah, crystal nose is really interesting as a tool and it's um, a way of using personality types to be able to better to re relate to individuals. It's very useful. In fact, uh, I use it perhaps in a different context for stakeholder meetings and board meetings um, where you're you know that that people relate differently to, to different ways of consuming information who likes the numbers who likes the the images it's a very powerful tool and salespeople are starting to to use it as well yeah it's really interesting shane it actually reminds me of a book a really favorite book on this subject although it's probably broader than social selling so worth a read daniel h pink's book to sell is human and he talks about lots of interesting things in there but makes a really interesting case for the modern salesperson and remember a salesperson we sell at home as much as we sell at work um, and rather than the the more traditional stereotyped extroverted salesperson um, if you're familiar with the play stroke movie Glen Gary Glen Ross all about hard selling and the ABC of that particular uh, play is always be closing your constant need on this treadmill to sell he talks about that balance between extra and introverted and this omnivert character and in fact goes further to talk about his abc which is what made me think of it with what you were just saying is his a stands for attunement so making sure that you are matching that personality type in the way that you communicate whether that's physical or verbal or both buoyancy which any good salesperson knows don't be afraid to carry on to knock the door more than once and then clarity making sure that you're really clear the language that you use and I think that's back to your point earlier Shane around that the research and insight you can get on, on what's the right language to use with somebody so that they understand and they feel like they can relate to you. That's lovely and that that brings to mind in fact um, Brian Halligan's great blog on the the modern salesperson and very similar you know saying we need smart people motivated helpful transparent ambiverted is how he described the, the sort okay, of okay similar thing i think yeah yeah and then lastly and what we've been talking about up to now you know digitally savvy using these tools um to basically as another another way that they can be even more professional that's an interesting that last point isn't it because perhaps my experience of, of talking with organizations is that often people feel it can be a bit generationalist that oh no digital's you know it's not for me it's for the youngsters because the association with social media is it's you know facebook instagram snapchat etc um th there's not the excuse there shane it's about actually you've got to embrace this world if you want to to make the most of your current and your future positions whatever your stage of career or life completely i mean and that's all about continuing to love learning and love new things although you know i have to say getting um digital credibility with my uh 20 year olds is is obviously i'm i'm on a losing battle there but there are various things that are it's always very nice to be able to show them something that they weren't aware of like a new hack in in linkedin to find my nearest which is uh, when you were in a meeting room with somebody which was a rather nice tool which if you're in the top search bar those funny little icons the little squares you tap on that um, and you can also use the QR code to scan somebody um, in terms of my code and you're instantly connected so I don't know whether um, people are aware of that but there is a LinkedIn QR code that sits under your profile that you can share see I did not know that Shane that's fascinating and uh, apart from the fact that I think 
those nuggets are really, really helpful. I will take you back to the point that without this becoming the generation game, the, the, the principles of what we've talked about here are not social selling specific. They're not LinkedIn or social media platforms. These are just good principles. So I think your knowledge and experience trumps perhaps the 20 something who may have the tool, the knowledge of the tools. This is about some of those underlying principles. And it's how you use them. Yeah. yeah well, and therefore, for me, it gives confidence to anyone that's listening in that thinks, well, I'm not sure about this. Well, you'll know a lot of how to do this inherently if you're good at communicating already. If you've you, built relationships. You absolutely will. And I have had challenges from some very, uh, how should we say, experienced uh, salespeople um, who have said, you know, um, if if you can get me any business through showing me this stuff on social, um, well, the first thing they said that they promised to run naked round Sheffield, at which point I didn't say, I think that wasn't a great incentive. But then they said it would make well, a good TikTok show. But, uh... <laughs> they said they'd buy me a bottle of champagne sheepishly. Three weeks later, they had to buy me the champagne because I understood the fear that that person had. But nobody had taken the time to explain how they could use it in their world. So I think, you know, really in terms of where do people get started? Yeah, great. It's, it's those use cases. So, you know, if you've got salespeople, particularly at the moment, um, what is it that they can be doing um, that would be useful? It's an interesting, isn't it? Because the, the, the fear is the hardest step is always that first step, Shane, is getting going. So you know, if someone is there, what, where basics from here, if somebody is, is kicking this around or perhaps is is finding their way, where do we go? So either for yourself or for your team, I would start with an audit. You know, what platforms are you on and where are your audience? Which ones are you going to start with? For, for most of us in B2B selling into enterprises, you know, the two leaders, Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, for others in SME world, it may well be other platforms. It might be Instagram or Facebook. So where's your audience? Um, and then audit. What does your profile look like if you're even on there? And you will find some shockers. I've done audits of sales teams where over half a sales team worked for a previous employer. Wow. Which yeah. it, and that's not uncommon, Shane, is it? That in terms of we just forget that element. We've got we've got the new job. And if you see LinkedIn as your living CV, you may not update it until you're next looking for a job which of course may well be an interesting trigger for your HR department if you suddenly update your profile. <laughs> yeah, but I think that, you know, in and that's where it comes to back to the point you made earlier, which is a very valid one. Don't think of it as a CV, but think of it as your, your brand and how you want to be seen much more than a list of jobs. It's about your skill set. It's about what knowledge you can share. It's about your expertise. So, you know, audit your own profile. But if you're doing it with a team, then give them help, you know, and actually having an external person to do this for you, they will always find stuff that you just go, oh, no, really? I mean, I another one I did an audit of a, of a sales and a marketing team and even the marketing team. Um, shall we say we're using three different brands in some of their social media uh, and it was supposed to be leading by example. So, you know, mm -hmm. and that's where, you know, and I can say this on, on your behalf and people like you that having that external advice, that training that just gets you going in the right direction. It's almost like putting a pair of 
stabilizers on the bike that you, you may cast that need off but it helps you go in the right direction safely and, and and with confidence yeah so it's fix the problems first then be really clear on the strategy you know wh- why are you doing it that's for mm-hmm. yourself um, your own personal strategy but that is absolutely critical for companies investing in social selling why are you doing it uh, what's the point because actually you could do this in a very limited way. You could choose to just do it for top accounts, back to a um, account-based marketing and sales, or you could choose to focus on a market you're not in yet. What's the strategy? Why are you doing it? Interesting. Okay. All right. And if we've settled on a market, a space that we're going in, what next? Thinking about the sort of frameworks and guidelines um, that can help those that you're going to empower, whether they're salespeople, whether they're engineers, whether, you know, whoever they are, you need to give them the frameworks and the guidelines that they work to. Be really clear on that um, from corporate brand, tone of voice um, and give them training. That's the next thing. You know, don't just go off you go, <laughs> but, uh, but help them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, that you'll know this far more than I, that the training it just sometimes gives them the confidence. They do know this. They just needed the reassurance rather than it's suddenly uh, learning from complete scratch. Absolutely. It's it's those extra bits. And I think it's always about the use case. You know, how can this help you? So for Twitter, um, I have a, a particular application of it that I find helpful, which is that for live events, I would use it as sort of summarising the speakers I found helpful, what they were passing on, and in effect, almost doing a sort of live tweet from an event. And it did two things for me. It connected me to new people, the speakers themselves, and it shared with my network who weren't there the things that I was learning. Um, so it did two things. It grew my network very quickly, um, but it also passed on that knowledge from other people. I have found on a virtual event that is very difficult to do that and be on the virtual event as well. Mm, Yeah, that's a new skill set for sure. So it's a really good point there around, again, the word helpful has come out a lot in this session once once more that what you're doing there, of course, is that's not your original thought. You're just being helpful by signposting and by default associating yourself with knowledge, even if it is those speakers. So that's not exploiting at all, Shane. That's just moving on information that you are there seen uh, as a signpost for, for, for knowledge, for, for expertise, even if that's shared from, from other people. Absolutely, because that is my brand. That's my job as a mm. as a consultant is to share wider expertise, um, which can be useful to other people. And I know you're you're really good at signposting stuff as well. But thinking about you know maybe people like yourself who are out training and meeting even more people than me. Um, you know, you're an influencer. So actually, one of the things that people can do and should be doing in their social seller strapping strategy is mapping their influencers um, who are perhaps they only need to reach 10 core people if those 10 core people between them reach a hundred thousand job done yeah yeah that's definitely a quality game it's not as if i need to start to tweet the kardashians to be able to be <laughs> to be recognized it is very much concentrated and actually that takes us back to one point chain you did mention the main platforms i would just say from experience as well that it's worth looking out for the niche communities that you find in so very industry specific 
forums or groups that may not be on those big platforms that may have not have the brand name but have much higher concentration of value for you to to go and spend your time absolutely yeah things like professional associations that mm. run closed user groups you know like the law society for example um you know you absolutely want to get um the key influencers which in many cases might be a judge um sharing their opinions and and some of them are uh, on social media but within very closed as you say forums good okay and just trying to wrap up for this particular session help resources things that people can go and take a further look at if this has piqued an interest for them shane where would you go you've mentioned jill already i have um and you know absolutely worth following her on linkedin and on twitter and and she blogs a lot uh there's a good book which is called sales for life social selling mastery by jamie shanks and then you could sort of call him the the founder if you like tim hughes mm. um has written the definitive book social selling techniques to influence buyers and change makers um a really good read I, I always recommend it when people are bringing in a social selling program. Tim goes around the world training um, massive organisations on this. And I did double check, actually, uh, how many followers he has uh, on Twitter. I think it's 160. No, it's not. It's 190,000 followers. Uh, and he is number one global selling provider. Um, hashtag so i think analytica did a, a map that's a, a tool that you can use to map influencers and they did name him number one yeah that makes sense and, and actually if that makes anyone feel inadequate shane it, it's worth saying you know my my twitter followers are a couple of thousand similar to yours anyone that thinks i'm never going to get to that it, again remember it's not about having the vast numbers of connections it's the quality of those connections the the perhaps the two or three degrees of separation that platforms like LinkedIn give us that's where the true value is rather than vanity metrics absolutely I mean setting the right KPI is really important um, it's 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 not it's not size definitely <laughs> good yes absolutely okay and then of course the platforms themselves although they may have a, a slight self-interest in some of the the positioning of education they're great places to go for free knowledge is that fair that is fair. I mean, I, I double checked. LinkedIn's got um, now over 120 different training courses uh, on their training platform on social selling. Some are free. Most of them are now gated and paid for. And in fact, increasingly, some of the helpful stuff LinkedIn are putting behind um, their paid for LinkedIn Navigator or behind the paid for training. Because let's remember, you know, this is the product they are yeah. they are reselling what we're doing on there be it we are the audience um or they are selling to us on how to use their platform better Indeed. Um, but, yet, but that but that, that even the social selling index the ssi score that people may be familiar with i believe that's now behind there but a, a useful thing to look at if you can access it yeah, I mean, the, the principles of the, the social selling index are helpful. It's, and again, and it's a good summary, really. What it, it talks about is establish your professional brand, find the right people, engage with insights and build relationships. And critically, that last one, build relationships, your, your score um, is biased by how many acceptances you get. So actually, if you are out there spamming people, you're going to have a low SSI score which I think is really 
um, very interesting. Yeah, it's all very interesting. And actually, again, it plays to that quality over quantity. Shane, thanks ever so much. Any final thoughts on things that people, before they disappear off into the world of, of social networks and selling that you want to advocate? Well, I hope that if they're not already linked in, that they will obviously link in to us having listened to the podcast. I jolly well hope so too. And if not, they can certainly come back when we speak to them on episode nine. Thanks, everybody. Shane, thanks ever so much for your insight. Speak to you soon. Thanks, Steve.